Well, yeah, so the reason we had to pray on the front end is, like, I literally have 22 minutes. we got to be out this door. So, uh, we are, yeah, yeah, so, so y'all benefit by getting a short sermon, late Christmas gift for y'all. Uh, just limited flights to where we're headed, and so we had to take what we could get. Or, uh, so anyway, yeah, we're, uh, we're going to spend just a few moments, and, and this is a beautiful passage, one of my favorites, and I just want to narrow in on a particular uh, phrase um, that will frame up what I hope is the next couple, um, two to three weeks here for us here at The Journey. Um, I won't be here next week. We'll have a, a brother, uh, Reed Roper, who has been to the same place we're going. He spent the last two summers there. He's a, he's a school teacher at Adams Elementary, but uh, spent the last couple summers there. And so he's going he's gonna to talk about Acts 13 and what it looks like for the church to send out. And so I'm excited for you all to hear from him next week. Um, and then when, when I come back, uh, it'll be the 22nd, that's Sanctity of Life Sunday, so we're going to talk about how do we, how do we view kids and, and what does the Bible say about our view of kids. And so as we um, prepare to go uh, where we're headed and then uh, look at that kind of sending piece next week, and then we talk about Sanctity of Life the week after that, I wanted to just spend a few minutes, and, and honestly, I, I really prayed, Lord, what do you want me to do with this week? It's kind of, a, it's, it's kind of an anomaly, it's a short, shorter sermon, it's kind of a standalone, like... But uh, we take each January usually to reflect, uh, to remind ourselves what God has called us to here at The Journey, and to cast vision for what that looks like specifically in the coming year. And so last week we talked about um, really uh, loving God by, by diving into family devotions. Uh, how many of y'all, uh, what, is our hope, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but... All right, with like three families did it. So we got more work to do next week. Uh, maybe I just caught you off guard. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but we belong to God. So what I'm talking about, if you miss it, we started doing a catechism together as a church. Hopefully you've found ways to put that into your home. Uh, we've got it rotating on the screen. You, you could start this week, even if you're, you, you don't know what we're talking about. It's not too late. And so we want to love God through uh, bringing that catechism, the series of questions that build a foundation of us, our faith, it can be as simple as what I just said, and you just ask your kids that repeatedly, or there's some verses, there's some further reading and commentaries and, and videos for you to go even deeper, okay? And then so, as we talk about that, we talk about connecting people, we talk about transforming the world, all of that is encompassed, as Chad mentioned, by redemptive relationships. We want to be a church that is about redemptive relationships, first and foremost with Jesus our Savior. We realize that the issue with the world is that it is full of sinful people that are broken, and the only remedy for that is a Savior named Jesus. And so we, we believe everybody needs a redemptive relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then out of that, to be known by his people. So to be saved by Jesus, to be known by his people, we call that community, and then to be engaged in his mission uh, with redemptive relationships in the community. So when we do outreach, when we do um, you know, things that are ministry related outside of these walls, we want to do things that plug people into people. That's why we love ministry like Embrace Grace. That's getting in life with people, plugging God's people in with those who are, have a need and walking with them. Not just meeting a need, come blow by here, let us give you a crib and see you later, hope life's good, but embedding in life with them, walking, loving, praying, pleading, weeping with them. That's why we do foster care ministry. That's why we're, we want to get back into addiction ministry. Th those sorts of things are what really, uh, I think God has called his people to, to see the world around us, both immediately here in Marion and Southern Illinois, and all the way to where we're headed in Central Asia and beyond, to see the world around us as God's creation, God's people, who, see, who he sent his son to go and redeem. And then he sends us out 
to carry on that mission. It's exactly what Paul says. We become uh, ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us. And so, as we talk about that um, taking its different forms over the next couple weeks, I just want to challenge us this morning. Let the, the word of God challenge us for just a few moments about how do we view one another? How do we view others? How do we view others? Because that informs what we will do for others, doesn't it? The value that we place on someone or something informs to what lengths we will go to do anything for them, to find them or whatever it may be, right? You know this is true. I'm thinking about getting on an airplane. Like, I got a thousand things running through my mind. Did I forget anything? Did I, you know, did I, did I, did I get anything in my bags I'm not supposed to have in my bags? And I remember a few years ago with my wife, I think we were going on our honeymoon. I still had my pocket knife clipped to my, my jeans, and we'd parked like 18 miles away, you know, and rode the little shuttle thing, and we had to get in there and get through the deal. So I was like, well, pocket knife's trash. You know, I just threw it in the trash as I walked in the building, and I lost that pocket knife. You know what? It, but it wasn't that big a deal. I didn't really care that much about that pocket knife. But yeah, I, got a, I got a pocket knife right now I kind of like. And so this whole week, I was like, don't take the pocket knife, don't take the pocket knife, don't take the pocket knife. Why? Because I, I, I value that pocket knife. The one that I just threw in the trash, whatever, right? It informs what, it, it's silly, but it informs to what length I'm willing to go to preserve that or to go look for that. You know that's true if you've lost something, right? Some things you lose, you're just like, meh, right? Whatever. Other things are of high value. You lose your wedding ring. You lose someone else, something that's precious to you. You'll turn the house upside down. You'll retrace your steps. You'll go back down the road and walk down the road looking where you might have lost it. You know what I mean. It, the value of something will determine how far we are willing to go to get it, to, to serve it, to do whatever it is. And so when we're talking about um, ministry, it matters how we view people. How we view children, and when we're talking about sanctity of life, how we view uh, unreached people groups, Islamic people, Buddhist people, um, fill in the blank, what, uh, you know, tribal people, third, fifth, fourth, fifth world countries, like how we view them matters for what we are willing to do for them. So as Paul says in this incredibly packed passage of scripture, <clears throat> I want us to think about the, 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 the phrase from verse 16, that from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We regard no one according to the flesh. I want us to uh, see what exactly Paul is talking about here, and I want this to inform us, and I want today to be a bit more reflective. You've heard, you've heard uh, a little bit about what we're about to do. You've heard Nick's story. We're going to spend, we're going to sing, I think we're going to sing Christ Be Magnified again. I, I want that to be an anthem for our church as we go forward this year. I want that to be true of who we are as a people, that Christ is magnified in us as a people here at The Journey. And so I want us to be a bit more reflective today as, as I really do. We, we've got a role, but uh, I, want, I don't want you to be like, okay, it's just an easy day. We'll get to, we'll get to lunch early. I want you to let this um, shape us and compel us, as Paul says. The love of Christ controls us or compels us in verse 14. Why? Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. That is huge news, church. We shouldn't read that and go, meh. Like, no, that one has died for all. That's incredible. Christ himself was teaching. He says, listen, nobody will die for somebody else. Like, it's really, really rare you find somebody that will die, even for a really good person, that they'll give their life. Like, we romanticize that in the movies, don't we? When the hero gives himself for somebody else or for the, for the country or for a woman or whatever, we romanticize that. Why? Because that's an incredible sign and act of love, isn't it? 
So when we see that one has died for all, Paul says this is what is informing everything about our lives, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and, all, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live, what? For themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He's saying the gospel is such a gospel. It is so compelling that when we realize what Christ has done for us, it will compel us to no longer live for ourselves. But as Jesus said, we looked at these parables uh, a couple weeks ago. We looked at them and said, like Jesus says, the kingdom of God is, is such that whenever someone sees it, they will give up everything else just to have that. That's the kind of glory, that's the kind of gift that we're being offered when Christ says, I've given myself for you so that you may have life. The great exchange at the end, that verse 20 uh, ends with, with, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 21, for our sake he, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Listen, this, like what I can't do is just tell you about people who are suffering, tell you about kids who are suffering, tell you about the, the statistics of where we're going and where we're trying to build relationships with and expect you to just change your life based off of some guilt, based off of some stat. It won't last. It won't last. You might do some things. You might have humanitarian impulses. You might do some good work. But what we need, if, we're going to be magn- if, if Christ is going to be magnified in us as a body and as a people, and if we're really going to uh, change how we, tran- how we look at other people, we need to look first at how Christ has treated us and how he's treated the rest of the world. And that is what compels us out because it says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is what compels us into a life that totally transforms how we view one another. So um, I want us to think just a, a bit about that. How do we view one another? How do we view um, people that are suffering? How do you view people who, let's just be honest, really have nothing to offer you? How do we view people who have nothing to offer us? Because what Paul is saying is when we get what Jesus has done for us, we're so gripped that we're no longer living for ourselves. As John Calvin put it, he says, everyone who considers and ponders the wonderful love that Christ has shown us in his death cannot but be bound to him by the tightest chain so as to devote himself to his service. So if we're honestly gazing at and, and considering the love that Christ has shown us, it will compel us to action, right? So it's one thing to just say, okay, I'm going to live for Jesus. That's what I'm going to do in 2023. I'm going to live for Jesus. That's great. I'm going to do this and that. But look at what Paul says, like how it's going to change our life. It says, he says, we'll no longer regard, regard anybody according to the flesh. It's going to change everything about how we view one another, how we view our lives, how we view the time, talent, and treasure that we have left here on this world Living for Jesus involves, even requires a change in how we view humanity and other people. And here's the deal. This is huge. This is incredibly pervasive in the Bible. If you actually start looking for this in the scripture, it's all, that you'll see it everywhere. Like this instruction is, is a, what it means to be an image bearer of God. It's to 
Love like God loves, to give of ourselves the way that God gives. You realize that when we were made in his image, the God that we celebrate who gave himself for us, that's the image that we were made in. We're supposed to be restored back to that image. That's the work that he's doing. And so when you see um, the commandments that are, that are both formed to how we treat God vertically, but also how we treat one another horizontally, when you see Jesus confronted and say, hey, what's the most important commandment? He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because it, it is very much about being the image of God that we live in such a way that others are also the image of God, and therefore we give ourselves for the sake of one another because humanity has incredible value, so much so that Jesus came to give his blood for us. And so that informs how we live. So I, I want you to consider for, for just a moment um, the, the incredible story from John, John chapter 13, which we're gonna start the book of John at the end of the month, and we'll stay there for a while, so we'll get to chapter 13 probably in like a year. Um, but in that story is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And if you know that story, it's, it's, you know, it's crazy. You talk about how wild it is that, that Jesus, you know, the, the teacher, the, the one who's supposed to be honored in that moment, that he would get down and wash the filth. This is a lowly position. But, but he does it all to say, hey, you are going to be my people. And a servant's not better than his teacher. Or a, a, you know, a learner, a disciple's not greater than his teacher. And if I'm doing this, so should you do this. He says, the world is going to know you by how you love one another. I'm getting down to wash your feet to show you what kind of love my people are going to embody as you go forward in my name. So we've seen this in John chapter 13, that this shift, Jesus says, this is a new command I give you. It's all summed up by saying, love one another. You see the way that Jesus gives of himself to the world, that he gives of himself. He's not there to take glory. He's not there to, to receive from them. He's there to give of his own life. We see uh, that James uh, talks about how we use our mouth, how we use our words matter. And, 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 the, and the reason that he bases that on is because you're talking to other image bearers. He says, how dare you tear one another down? This is another child of God. This is another person that God has made. He talks about the sin of partiality. He says, how dare you treat somebody different that comes in with, with you know, dirty, grimy clothes and, and you don't give them a second glance, but the moment you know, somebody of prestige walks in, we all you know, fawn over ourselves to make sure that they're welcome and they know where they could sit and they know where the coffee and all. He says, that's partiality. Partiality, has God not, has, and he'll say, has God not chosen the, the least of these to confound those who are wise? Has God not chosen, like we forget, Jesus says, you're not to be better than me, you're not going to go spend time with better people than I did. This is who Jesus was drawn to, the broken, the lost, the sinful. He says, so don't, don't act like you're going to do something. I, no, no, that's, we would have to treat one another as co Image bearers as, as co-heirs in Christ. And so he calls us out for that. Ephesians 4 says, don't tear down one another with your words, right? But only do what? Build one another. We see this, that God is a God who sees people and is moved to action because of people's needs. We see this as a theme. If you'll look all throughout the, the, the Old Testament as God is forming for himself a people, He's instructing them to live in such a way, even in, in passages like Exodus 22 and, and Leviticus, whenever he's informing them of, of how they should live in Exodus 22, he says, uh, listen, you shall not wrong a sojourner or, or oppress him. But, but listen, listen what he does. 
For you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Isn't that our problem? We fail to give other people value because we fail to see ourselves in their shoes. This is why the commandment is love your neighbor as what? As yourself. The way that you would want to be loved in that moment, in that position, if you had been born in that country that is now at war and you have nowhere to go and you're trying to find refuge, how would you want to be treated? It's easy for all this to get politicized and idealized and, and, and whatever, but no, no, Jesus calls us to think about it in those terms. Don't do harm to them. Leviticus 23, 22, he says, and when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap the field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and the sojourner, for I am the Lord your God. He, know, he adds that in there. He says, this is not just a good idea. This is not just about social justice. This is not just Jesus, like God's social program, social security. So this is who I am. I see the poor, I care about them, and I'm gonna make a way for them to have what they need. And that is going to be through your generosity, through you giving of yourself. You could very much get a little bit more money, a little bit more grain, right? Those of you who are watching the margins, watching the edges, shutting off all the lights in your home because it's going to cost you more in your electric bill. He says, listen, leave that. I've got a plan for that. It's to care for other people. Leviticus 25, he says, if your brother becomes poor and cannot maintain himself with you, that you shall support him as though he were a stranger or a sojourner, and he shall live with you and take no interest from him or, pro- or, or profit, but fear your God that your brother may live beside you. Someone who's struggling, someone's in need, you shall give of what you have to care for them. Matthew 25 is a sobering passage, and Jesus walks through this entire scene of the judgment day and people who think they're in, and he tells them you're not in, and then he walks through and says, listen, when you saw me in need, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't respond. And they say, whoa, 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 when did we not respond? And he gives off a list, but he says in Matthew 25, 40, he says, truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see the way the Bible sees people, people who are suffering, people who are discardable in our eyes. We might not call them that, but we treat them as such. I want to go back to Genesis chapter 16, verse 13. It's an incredible story. You know the story of Abraham and Sarah, but what you forget is this incredible character in the story named Hagar, who's treated as disposable. When they can't create a baby with their own marriage, they say, well, maybe we should use her, and they do. They use her. And then when she gives birth to a baby, all of a sudden, they don't really want her. And so she's sent away, and it's incredible that it is to her that was discardable that that God shows up in the wilderness and says, you will not perish. I've seen you. I've heard your cries. And it is her, Genesis 16, 13. So she called on the name of the Lord and says, you are a God of seeing. She's one of the first, if not the first, to name God, to give a name to God. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. What does all this mean for us? When our God sees the world, when he sees the struggling family that lives two doors down from you, when he sees the drunk that is stumbling down the street with his cart or whatever, whatever it is, like when he sees the unreached people groups in countries around the world, when he sees children who do not have a home at no fault of their own, have been displaced, when he sees children in orphanages around the world, he sees his 
creation. He sees his image bearers. And he says, listen, I have given my life for these people. And you and me have received that life. And if we really get what Jesus has done for us, it will lead us to open up our hands and do whatever we can for others. So this informs us very practically as we live in this world. This gets very honest as we start thinking about um, you know, I'll be honest, even getting prayed for, well, God, I appreciate that. I'm not trying to make light of that. But, but here's what I'm thinking the whole time is like, these people live over there with their kids. And, and listen, it's, it's like, we're not going out with combat helmets on. It's, 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 a, it's a safe city where we're going. They're, they're okay with Americans, but it is a closed country. They can't be there and say that they're missionaries. But, but listen, when, when we get this, this informs us as a people, we start to have this kind of sacrificial living becomes a part of who we are as a people. John says, um, he, like he puts it bluntly, he do, who does not, have, or does, does not love his brother whom he has, sorry, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he hasn't seen. Our love for each other is an indicator of the place that God is holding in our hearts. So this kind of behavior where a family up and leaves and goes and serves Jesus in another culture, that becomes normal for us. We should expect that when people meet Jesus, they live wholly for him. And when they do that, it will radically inform how they treat one another and therefore how they live their life. So giving our life to reach the unreached in a country far, far from home without most of home's comforts shouldn't be seen. We shouldn't view them. Their picture is out there. The family we're gonna see is out there on the lobby. I think we got some cards. Grab them, take them, pray for them regularly, but we shouldn't see them as next level varsity, rather as people who are living out the first and second commandments, loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving their neighbor as themselves. That instead of gawking at this move, that, uh, that we instead move all that we can in our life, because they're called to do that, we move all that we can in our life to, with money and time and whatever we can to be a help to them, even considering ourselves whether we should go and be sent to there or to a place like there. Because now when we think about the Islamic people in Central Asia, we don't regard them according to the flesh, according to the news cycle, but rather through Jesus' eyes. Same is true of fostering. We don't see those who are fostering or adopting from orphanages around the world. We don't see them as next level varsity. We see them as a people who are living out, loving God and loving their neighbor. And this is the way that God has called them to live it out. And so what do we do? We gotta live that mission out too. That may mean supporting them. That may mean joining them, doing it as well. But we, we have to stop seeing it as, as radical and rather seeing it as what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to live radically with our lives. He's called us to give of ourselves radically with our lives. I used Michael Jordan as an example last week. My favorite clips from that is, is him in the last dance talking about, you can talk about Jordan being this, Jordan being that, but he, like, one thing about, he referred, I can't refer to myself in the third person, but he can. He says, one thing about Michael Jordan, I'd never ask anybody to do anything that I wouldn't do in myself. Jesus isn't sitting on his comfortable throne saying, hey, go. You should go. No, Jesus has already come. And he gave himself on a cross. He gave up every bit of comfort to come and live a life for you and I so that he could give a life for you and I. And now he calls us 
to give our lives back to him. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us, compel us, control us. As May we be a people who are so gripped by the gospel that we are, like Paul says, controlled, compelled, consumed, and sent by it. This is not just one of the, the affections and driving forces in our life, but it becomes the driving force that grips us, controls us, and sends us out. So as we sing and as we respond, I pray that you would stir and that you would send us to our neighbors. Maybe that's across the street. Maybe that's down the road. Maybe that's across the world. I pray that you would help us to see people with your eyes and respond with your heart as we surrender. May you be glorified in us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.